Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast, a podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Tel Luca. Welcome, welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. Practitioner. And welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast, which is supported by ABMP, the Associated Bodywork and Massage Professionals. ABMP membership gives professional practitioners like you a package including individual liability insurance, free continuing education, and quick reference apps, online scheduling, and payments with PocketSuite, as well as much more. ABMP's CE courses, podcasts, and the Massage and Bodywork magazine always feature expert voices and new perspectives in the profession, including from Till and myself. Thinking practitioner listeners can save on joining ABMP at abmp.com forward slash thinking. Today's in-house sponsor is a something that I care about. That is advancedtrainings.com, my site. The the, uh, the pitch for that is, are you ready to take your skills to the next level? Come visit us there with innovative self-paced programs ranging from one-hour certificate courses on the most common client complaints to our comprehensive CAMT certification program. We offer practice-changing learning events with industry-leading instructors and a supportive learning community that will take your work to another level. Plus, for a limited time, Thinking Practitioner listeners can enjoy a special offer. Sign up today at advanced-trainings.com and get a free month of our amazing ET subscription. Explore our extensive library of courses, cancel anytime, and keep your credits all from just $20 a month with the first month free for you, Thinking Practitioner listeners. Enter Thinking subscriber at checkout for this limited time offer at advanced-trainings.com. Plus, it's not too late to join us for one of our amazing retreats, like our neck, jaw, and head masterclass coming up in Puerto Rico, or our walking workshop with Robert Schleip on the Camino de Santiago in Spain next year, or our popular arm, wrist, and shoulder course live online in the new year. So why wait? Visit advanced-trainings.com today. Hey, Whitney, good to be back with you. Hello, How sir. Are you How are you? So you've been off for a couple episodes here. It's great to have you back. And um, today we're going to jump into some interesting specifics. What are we talking about today? We are going to talk about the cervical facet joints oh, yeah. and yeah, the role they might have in uh, the people's life that come see us and then some things we can do about what they complain, what people complain about too. All right. Good. So I'm looking at a nice... A fun technical topic. Those are always interesting. And apparently our in, our listeners find them interesting too, because whenever we talk about technical stuff, the click rate goes way up. Yeah. Okay. So thanks for clicking everybody. Let's let's get to it. Okay. So uh, and what can I ask you? Yeah. What's, yes. I was gonna ask you. Yeah. What are the facets? What are we talking about there? Well, I was gonna start off with the Thinking Practitioner podcast trivia question to start off oh, at the beginning right. here. So All right. we are talking about the facet joints, but what is the technical name that's given for those joints? Oh boy. Should have been ready with that. <laughs> Zygo... Tell me. Yeah, you're right. Zygopophyseal joints. Zygopophyseal, yeah. that's it. Spelled yeah. sometimes differently, but Z-Y-G-A, Zygopophyseal uh, joints. It's a technical term, but nobody calls them that. So I don't know why, why we do that, but, uh, yeah, anyway. So I'm going to start. Yeah. So, uh, the Z joints. All right. So we're going to talk about the Z joints today. So yeah, we're talking about the cervical facets and these of course are the locations where adjacent vertebrae are, um, articulating 
with each other. One of the few locations, a very small location where they do articulate with each other. Um, for those people who might be following along with us visually, I'm going to take just a quick moment and we'll put them up on the screen so we can take a quick look at these uh, zygopophyseal joints. So the big thing about these is we notice the orientation of these joints being a little bit diagonal. So here are the zygopophyseal joints. And for those who are listening just on audio, they are, of course, the place where adjacent vertebra touch each other. And if you know, yeah. if you look at the cervical spine, there's no contact between the big bodies of the vertebra where the main weight is borne through those cervical vertebrae. The facet joints are the one place where they do connect in contact with each other. And the important so point about the bodies, these, what's that? Between the bodies, you got the disc. Between yeah. the, the disc is keeping those vertebrae apart. Keeping those vertebrae apart. The, mm -hmm. Yeah. And the facet joints, one vertebrae actually does come in contact with the one below or above it. And that's just a, a joint right there between the bones. That's right. And these uh, cervical facet joints are oriented kind of diagonally. Uh, it's interesting if you look throughout the rest of the spine, the angle of those facet joints changes as you move through the spine. And that has a lot to do with governing the motion that's capable at these different joints. So this diagonal angulation of these facet joints here in the cervical region gives them a lot of potential for different ranges of motion that we'll uh, be going through and taking a look at here. Well, nice. So, uh, okay. So they're, they're, I like to think of them as shingles. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or snakeskin scales well, where one is lapped over the one below it at those little overlapping joints there. And like you said, they do determine a lot of what's possible in the neck in terms of movement and uh, perhaps position. That's a sticky wicket that I hope to get into with you. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly uh, movement. So what role do the cervical facet joints play in neck movements and stability? What what do you think about that? Whit? Yeah, so they are, as we noted, helping to guide that movement significantly because of their angulation. And uh, they will be sort of uh, compressed in certain positions. For example, when you bring your neck back into extension or hyperextension, those cervical facet joints are compressed. That's looking up. Yeah. And then as you yeah. tilt your chin towards your chest in flexion and tilt your head downward, those facet joints gap or open up a little bit. And um, one thing I just wanted to mention here too, to keep a note or keep in mind about these, there's when we talk about cervical facet dysfunctions and problems with them, there is a yeah. lot of emphasis on the joint contact surface between those adjacent cervical vertebra, but it's well, important to keep in mind that the, each one of those cervical facet joints has a joint capsule, just like yeah. other joints do, and those joint capsules are richly innervated, so they may it's be a there. part of what's going on with, with people with their uh, cervical facet joint problems. You got to show a picture. Can I show a picture of that? Let's see it. Let's see if I can do this as smoothly as you did. Mm -hmm. You have some practice at this screen sharing stuff, mm -hmm. obviously. Let's go. All right. So there's a zygo. I messed it up already. Zygo what? Pophyseal. Zygopophyseal joint yeah. and its capsule. Uh -huh. And these are cervicals. So you can see that uh, there's that joint there that where those overlapping shingles are is surrounded by a joint capsule. It is uh, tissue connective tissue, uh, which I am particularly fond of. And as such, it is also richly innervated with uh, various mechanoreceptors and sensory neurons that uh, give us sensation. 
Do you want to say anything about the sensation there, Whit? Well, yeah, I think what you just brought up is really interesting too about the mechanoreceptors and sensation because they do play a critical... I mean, when we think about the head, the position of the head and neck, giving us all kinds of information about where we are in space, how we are oriented, what's going on with balance in our body, the incredibly rich amount of information coming from those mechanoreceptors and sensory receptors is really crucial to to putting us in those different positions. And then, of course, we naturally try to adjust to that um, from, from what's going on with them. Just an interesting little side note about just an example of that. You know, um, I can't remember if we ever mentioned this on the podcast before or not, but um, my wife has always bugged me about the fact that every time you see me in a photograph where we just, you know, stand still for a portrait photograph, my head is always uh-huh. tilted to one side. And she oh. always used to say like, why do you cock your head to the side like this? Like, of course, I'm not aware of doing that. And I was going to get refitted for my glasses, no, I don't know, a year uh, or two ago or something like that. And yeah. the optometrist mentioned me, do you know that one of your eye orbits is slightly higher than the other? Yeah. And uh, I said, no, I didn't realize that. But now that makes sense. Like, I tilt my head to the left seeking, to try seeking to- horizon. Seeking you know, Seeking balance and level horizon to keep those at the same same level of each other. So- they're interacting with my mechanoreceptors probably in my cervical region to get that position there to to be able to look straight ahead. So fascinating. Yeah. Did you ask him if he could just make you a pair of glasses that was offset so your head went straight? I could, but then I, you know, I'd, I'd look a little uh, a little off there probably. <laughs> I For, don't see that. You know, sixty one years of doing it this way, I'd probably get messed up after a while <laughs> trying to do it another yeah. way. So. Yeah. So yeah, you talked about how those mechanoreceptors are concentrated around the joint capsules. They have a lot to do with proprioception, maybe horizon orientation, like you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and also the joint surfaces are thought to. Should I jump in and say something about degeneration? Let's do. Yeah, let's do. Okay, the joint surfaces are thought to contribute to pain when they get degenerated or roughened, and that is actually de- degeneration. Joint degeneration brings up some disagreement in the field that to think that's equated with pain, that if you see something rough on an x-ray, that that's necessarily painful. And you'll get clients who come to you and says, you know, I've been told my neck or joints are just degenerated. I'm just going to hurt. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I hold with, uh, that's a, you know, hold it lightly, you could say, that explanation. And just because we have roughened joint surfaces anywhere doesn't mean we're necessarily in pain. Those are independent phenomena. And that's pretty much true as a as a kind of a blanket statement applied to other joints as well, wouldn't you say? Mm -hmm. Yeah, though what we see on a scan, we don't see pain on a scan. We see shapes, textures, things like that, Mm -hmm. and they don't correlate that well with pain, actually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, but is okay. So how about position? Should we go to the position question? Yeah, that's a big one. Uh, that's a nice little can forward of worms tradition. Yeah. Say that's a good can yeah. of worms to open up there. The question that I want you that you put in our script here that I want to ask you is: Is there empirical evidence that establishes a direct link between forward head posture and neck pain? I want your answer. It depends. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. So the stuff well, that I was reading about that there was, you know, it does not, at least to me, appear definitive yet. There were some, you know, conflicting studies. Some that yeah. were interesting saying like, yeah, there seems to be a correlation in older people right. and not in younger people, um, yeah. which I thought was interesting because everybody's blaming all the younger people for texting on their phones all the time as, as yes, you yes. know, being a part of this this whole thing. So 
Um, it's because us older people didn't get to do that. Our necks aren't adaptable enough and we start to hurt. We start to hurt. That could be, yeah. So, I'm making that up, but who knows? Yeah. So I'm in answering your question, I'm going to default to my usual statement around posture and pain, which is, again, posture is not necessarily a cause of pain, except mm. when it is. So, you know. It can be, but it's not necessary. Right. It's some instances, uh, it's, I honestly believe in, in some instances it can do that, even though some of the, you know, um, other folks out there looking at some of this research will say there's no correlation between posture and pain, but that doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't ever happen. That just might mean that the, the correlation is not strong. Yeah. I'm with you, as you know, in that general point of view that posture doesn't equal pain. Uh, it's interesting that in the great debates of a, you know the last decade, they're kind of quieting down now, but uh, I think Walt Fritz refers to them in our next episode too about the the pain science wars or something like that. But the, this there was constant debate between is posture uh, relevant to pain? Should our measure just be pain? Should our measure just be posture? And this is the head forward thing was the one place where they're actually at that time this probably developed some since then. There was some empirical evidence that head forward posture does correlate more with TMJ pain. Mm -hmm. Those are two that you could draw a pretty straight line with through the evidence saying people who have a head forward posture have a higher incidence of TMJ pain. Yeah. And there probably are, yeah, you know, there are probably a number of places like that where we could find pretty clear evidence. But in general, the evidence is pretty weak that our posture produces pain. Yeah. Do you want to make a a correlation line uh, or thoughts? I'd like to hear your thoughts on that in relation to TMJ pain. Kind of like what's the what's the cause effect? What's the mechanism? Yeah. Well, uh, Callier, uh, influential uh, physical therapist in the '90s, said it was because the head forward posture would pull backwards on the jaw on the mandible. Mm -hmm. The tissues would become tight from that head forward posture and pull the mandible back into the backside of that. Uh, the condyle mm -hmm. on the skull where the TMJ is, and it's the backside of that joint that has a richer concentration of nociceptors. Oh, interesting. That That's... was his kind of linear explanation for why that would be. Yeah. Honestly, I hold that explanation lightly too. It's plausible, but there's probably a lot of reasons why people with a head forward posture have a higher incidence of TMJ pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As you mentioned too, that the the big dive into text neck. Let's find the smoking gun in text neck and show that people who text more hurt more. That has been elusive. That hasn't been, there have been very few studies rather that found that correlation. There was a big one out of Brazil. And it, yeah, there, there is, there does seem to be big differences uh, between age groups. Young people do great with whatever they're doing. Mm -hmm. And maybe by the time you're my age, you got to be more uh, exacting. Yeah. In that. Yeah, I just if, I think so many of these just chronic postural challenges just have cumulative effects that are going to affect people it. more as they I get older, and and mm -hmm. maybe it's because we also get crankier. It's just like we we, we just complain more. more. You know, it's uh -huh. like a, a little higher on the priority list for us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's actually, uh, some of us do. That's for sure. I sure do. Well, there's actually some good evidence too that older people complain less about pain Yeah, as well. I would be curious to know, and again, this is something that I don't think has ever been studied, but just, you know, they're looking, most of the studies that I had looked at around this whole issue of text neck and the posture and yeah. pain problems have been looking at things like 
biomechanical measurements of you know this particular huh. position being informed. But what about like just saying something more along physiological lines, like you're you know in that forward head posture, your muscles and tissues are under a greater load because they're trying to offset that head posture. But as you get older, you have less fluid content in your tissues and maybe less capability for them to be resilient to moving yeah. in and out of those postures. You know, maybe that might be why some more of those people feel some of those kinds of things as they get older. I mean, I kind of feel like that's yeah. true. Like I've had sort of nagging back pain most of my life when I do certain activities or when I sit for long periods. But the older I get, the more nagging it gets. And I think it's just, it seems to me maybe just predicting that that's something associated with just physiological changes of the tissue in addition to, to things like that. So Yeah, physiological changes in the tissue, but yeah. also positions. I mean, we do, our spinal curves do get deeper with age, or at least you can draw that line on the chart yeah. and say people who get older do have more head forward position Yeah, as a function of time, perhaps, or gravity, or who knows what. Yeah. And uh, it's just something to be aware of. I saw a picture of myself from the side recently, and I was like, oh my God, there you go. I've always had a little bit of that tendency for sure, and uh, it's something to work with. Yeah. You know, an yeah. another kind of interesting analogy about what you're speaking about earlier in terms of looking at, um, you know, uh, imaging studies or things that show us what's going on with our structure and whether or not they're uh -huh. correlated with pain. Uh, I remember an instance back when I was about 18 years old, I think it was, and um, my dad had been having a lot of back pain and he had gone to see a, a chiropractor for the first time and he was just kind of like, he got all excited about this because this person was really helping him with his pain. He said like, you should go see this guy. So, you know, that whole um, kind of evangelical thing, like, well, something what? works for you, so everybody else has got to try it now. So it's like, well, I don't have any real prophecy. Like, go see him anyway. I think it would be really good for you. And this is back in a time when they were doing a lot of x-rays with everybody that came in. And he took yes. a side x-ray of my cervical region and came back and said, like, what on the on earth are you doing to your neck? Because you got this super cervical curve in there. And I said, like, well, you know, I'm a kind of small, scrawny guy. And I spend, you know, about an hour or more a day with a 12 or, you know, 12-pound tenor saxophone wrapped around my neck holding it in that position. And that's probably the what's, what's right doing there, that. Maybe. Yeah. So that would have caused increased compression on my cervical facet joints and things like that. But I, I wasn't having any pain, but the structure didn't look good. You know, the structure certainly looked problematic. I am glad you told that story. Let's, let's stick with that theme for a minute about what you can see in a momentary view, like an x-ray mm -hmm. and what people experience. Because there's also very little linkage in in that. Like we said with the facet joints, if they're rough, people don't necessarily hurt. It's also true that what we see on a positional x-ray doesn't correlate very well with pain. Sorry to the chiropractic profession and not to single them out at all. And there are very effective ways people are probably using that information in their manual treatments. But just because you have a lot of curve in your neck on an x-ray or just because the opposite, which is also... The, the the critics of this phenomenon really jump on a military neck yeah. as a mm -hmm. common diagnosis done from an x-ray that may or may not have anything at all to do with pain. Mm -hmm. Military neck is the lack of curves, the opposite of what you're describing. Yeah. And uh, it's also often you given as an explanation for why people have neck pain 
or why they might need a particular treatment to restore the curve. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So again, maybe, maybe not. And I tend to go toward the maybe not side of it, that position doesn't equal function or doesn't equal pain. It was such a radical idea for us in the, you know, when I started learning in the 80s or before that, people started developing the work in the 70s to think about how physical form really does influence so much and reflect so much and expect and uh, expresses so much the shapes of our bodies, the movements we make, things like that, still a lot to it. But when we take it really far, it starts to, it starts to be a little more questionable. Does a straight neck always hurt? No. Does a kid whose neck look like yours in the x-rays always hurt? Not necessarily. What's, it turns out that position is probably a pretty indirect measure of neck health. Mm -hmm. It's a good position of how it looks. Like me, seeing myself from the side going, wow, I don't like how that looks. That's a deal. That's a real deal. And if I want to look different, then I'm going to work with how my head forward posture uh, manifests itself. Yeah. Right. But if what I'm interested in is pain or even to some extent performance until you get to really high athletic levels mm -hmm. of performance. The position isn't the direct measure of that. Yeah. And I think yeah. one of the other ways where position has been misused to some degree is, is taking and extrapolating biomechanical principles of a malposition to predicting that somebody's going to have this kind of problem. So, for example, yeah. with the military neck, when you lose that cervical lordosis and you stack those vertebrae directly on top of each other, you do cool. increase compressive loads on the intervertebral discs because they are not designed to really be straight stacked on top of each other, and that does increase compressive loads. Or if you have an exaggerated uh, cervical lordosis, you will shift the weight-bearing responsibility farther in a posterior direction and put more load on the... Would you... Okay. Would you or would you not accept the modification to that statement that theoretically we increase the loads? Um, have there been direct measurements of people's loads in their discs when they're straighter or... Uh, less straight to show differences in loads? Yeah, I actually don't this... know to be able to quote them. Um, so I'll I'll go with theoretically. My understanding is that that has been yeah. validated, but I can't pull those studies off the top of my head. Well, so, so then we it's that's how I think of it. Yeah. And then we have debating theories. The other theory that says that the, well, the straighter things are, the more stacked they are one block over another. So there's less deviation from the plumb line. There is the less physical force there are. Mm -hmm. is there too. They're both theoretical models, Yeah, which um, could definitely explain some people's experience or some pain. Yeah. Uh, but it, what we end up doing is picking our model as a practitioner or as a client to explain why my neck hurts. Yeah. And uh, sometimes just jumping models can be really amazing too. And and I can, I'm going to tell you my favorite model for a moment, which really is uh, movement. And for so in my teaching and in my practice and in my own body, my question is, evolved over the years to does it move not is it straight or is it curved or is it in the right position yeah or is it balanced left and right it's the question can it move when it needs to and can it not move can it resist movement when it doesn't need to yeah and i know you you sort of orient uh, these questions <laughs> i hear you orient these questions <laughs> to practitioners <laughs> and to the people that you work with a lot too you would be also That's interested right. in the questions like how does that feel how does that movement yes feel does that feel like you can move the way you want to or how how are you perceiving that is that is that accurate 
there's a qualitative question I'll ask, how does it feel? But there's a quantitative one I start with, and that is, does it move? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a particular situation where it might be helpful to have it move. So let me ask you this, because this you I, know comes up um, yeah. frequently. So when you're, you're asking the question, does it move, are you trying to pay attention to does it move how far? Like, for example, huh. when you say uh-huh. like, oh, yeah, well, I can turn my head um, to the side, but yeah, just a little bit. But yeah, I can turn it to I the wanna, side. So Can I actually, can we do, can we actually do, a, can I lead you and the listeners through a little 60-second uh, exercise that yeah. will answer that question? Let's do it. Yeah. All right. So if we put our hands on our neck, so I'm feeling the back of my own neck right now. Okay. You don't have to see this on the video. Thumbs, thumbs pointing toward the anterior part yeah. of your neck or yeah, in that direction. Right. Yeah. But my most important part is that my fingers are on the back of my neck. Okay. And I'm gonna feel now what happens in the back of my neck when I nod. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a big nod so that I can feel some movement back there. It's not just a little bobble, but it's a big forward and back nod of the head. And just feel with your hands what happens in the back of your neck. Okay. You'll feel some of your fingers spreading. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At least some of them spread when you look down. And they come together when you look up. That's flexion extension. The vertebrae, the facets are doing something similar. They're gapping when you look down. They're coming together when you look up. So now get really specific with your touch and see if you can feel or imagine down to the joint level where you can tell what each joint is doing. So now if you get really specific with your nodding, can you feel which joints move the first or move the most? So you still got a broad touch. You're going to do a nod and your hands are going to tell you where's the first movement at the bony level or the joint level. And again, you might have to imagine this some or extrapolate some through the muscles. It's not, if you're used to feeling muscles, you're gonna tune into that, but I'm not gonna ask you to feel for bone. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's right in the middle, plus say C3-ish, somewhere in there, and that's pretty common. But that's the first place or the biggest place that moves when I look down, mm-hmm. you could say, yeah. Okay, so now from when, when you the place you found that moves the most, now go down a, a joint, let's say a finger's width or a little more. Can you move in a way that lets that next place move first? Can you start the nod from a lower place than you're usually doing it? And you're gonna notice right away it helps to breathe, it helps to relax, that you can use your eyes as a part of that process. You can look down, you can look up, you can let the breath move into your chest and shoulders as well as just into your lungs. So when you play with all those big picture factors and you really bring your awareness into that next joint down, often you'll find that by relaxing, you can let the next joint down move even more. Maybe try one more joint. Go even lower in your neck. So now I'm down to like C4, C5, and the muscles around us start to get a lot denser but I'm gonna just kind of play with and stay comfortable in your arms feeling, I'm gonna play with the ability, my ability to nod and initiate movement at a lower place than I'm used to by relaxing. So go ahead and let your arms rest, oh. everybody. But what I, So what I did there, Whitney, was basically I found the place that was moving the most obviously, and then we explored a couple of options. Could I let the next place down and the next joint down from that move even sooner in the cycle or easier in the cycle too. So no, so, quantity doesn't play into that yet. Mm-hmm. It's more like my ability to perceive that in my own body and then my ability to do something different. Yeah. To have a different. So the 
the biomechanist and kinesiologist in me wants to know these questions that come up as I do that. Are you actually changing the degree of movement between those adjacent cervical vertebrae, or is this a perception of movement? Like I well, let's just let me to answer that. Let's say feel your own body, you, Wit, and me, and everyone listening. After having done that experiment, Boop. and if you nod now after having your hands there, uh, notice if there's a difference. There may or may not be, mm -hmm. but for what typically people report is more freedom or a sense of a bigger neck, where things get easier, or having an upright head posture becomes easier. Yeah, naturally. Yeah. So those are the qualitative or perceptive differences that I'm after. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I can yeah. get around the question by saying my biomechanical uh, inquirer also wonders, but really, what really counts for me at the end of the day is how the client feels, sure. the perceptiveness. Yeah. That is actually what I'm targeting. Yeah. Cool. Okay. All right. Okay. So that's uh, a self-assessment and self-mobilization um, uh, or awareness-enhancing exercise we could do. We call it the cervical uh, wedge technique, and we do a, a version on the table with people too, where basically your face-up client, your supine client, we're lifting underneath their neck into each joint, helping them feel that and helping them find movement in each joint there. Mm -hmm. So I think in that point, we we agree, me, the practitioner, and the client agrees that there's we both feel movement there, joint by joint. So that probably is both the subjective and the objective lining up a little more than we just did. Yeah. So let me ask another kind of generalized question about treatment things, because I hear this question okay. a lot. This comes up, you know, when we talk right. about cervical facet dysfunctions or problems or think we have right. pain that's coming from facet joints, yeah. these are really deep. And, and you know, we right. as kind of manual therapy practitioners always want to get in and do something to that problem right. area. And since we can't yeah. really get to them and there's very little we can actually do to them... Mm -hmm. What are the the strategies that you sort of take from a treatment perspective are mostly aimed at kind of indirect methods like you just did here to to enhance movement and enhance uh, freedom of sense of proprioception and and greater freedom of movement or what what are your kind of key strategies from a treatment perspective for that? Okay, let's start with the premise we can't really get to them. Mm -hmm. uh, we. They're so deep that we have to reach through skin, connective tissue, muscle, to imagine physically touching those joints, and maybe we never get there. But if I could get you on my table, Whitney, and do this technique, I think you would agree that where there's a focused sensation that's much deeper than me touching the skin. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm a little hoarse here, but... <laughs> And I think through that movement, we are touching them. Mm -hmm. We're touching them both with perception, but then the movement itself is having a direct mechanical or physical effect. Yeah. And if I can localize movement or get more movement perhaps into a place, we're having a different mechanical effect on it. Yeah. It's a fascinating <laughs> means of, of working these areas because as you noted, and we were talking about this earlier, there are so yeah. many sensory receptors in this area yes. and there's just yes. a lot to work with um a very subtle kinds of changes and things like that that can have some i think moderately significant profound effects and impacts for people in doing these kinds of things 
people love network and yeah. they and they love this kind of down to the deepest structure awakening or awareness building or refinement of people's proprioceptive understanding of those yeah this, this people love this technique love this way of working with the neck yeah so so the keys there i mean the the wrap-ups for that technique and you got more questions i want to hear them but uh, I'm I'm working as many joints as I can feel, as many joints as I have time for. I'm looking for an effortless quality to the movement. It's not just can you force your neck open and close there. Mm -hmm. It's like can you relax and let the movement happen. Yeah. And then the other piece that I mentioned, but that'll do even more on the table, is what happens in the rest of your body when you do this? If you tighten your jaw into this, does it, is that different than relaxing your jaw? Mm -hmm. What do you have to do in your shoulders to allow this movement to happen? Yeah. Your chest, et cetera. Yeah. And then, uh, would you say that there's also a continuity when you try to do this sort of approach of looking at not only getting that freedom of movement in those facet joints in the cervical region, but you would also want to carry that through the spine, um, through yeah, other areas absolutely. as well? Absolutely. I mean, right. our episode today focuses on the facet joints, but that's yeah. a pretty art artificial focus clinically yeah. because everything works together. The whole spine works as a unit, and you could feel... Just probably when you're doing your own nod, to find the different place, you had to relax your shoulders, for example. Yeah. Or you had to breathe into your chest, or you had to sit more square in your chair, or something like that. So absolutely, in, in terms of a session, that's part of a bigger picture of increasing someone's overall body awareness, and the awareness of what happens in their body when they do look for different movement patterns in their neck. Yeah. Right. Well, that's a fascinating kind of exploration there with, with our, our sort of drill done on those facet joints. Any other key things that you want to zero in on um, with uh, that? No, thanks for being such oh. a willing guinea pig. Yeah, it was cool. I like uh, that. Yeah, There's a lot of different ways to work with the facet joints. I just shared you know, one of my own favorites. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it depends on really how we think about the body. And the role that we have in it, and it's like, is your work, depends on what your model, your mental or practical model is in terms of how you're working. And, um, you know, we're evolving in our understanding of what the body is and how it changes and what we're doing with our hands. But a lot of it comes back to things like, do you think of the body as clay to be molded? You're going to touch it and work with it in one way. Or is it like a muscle machine that needs to be pumped up into a particular shape and then you're going to prescribe, you know, head back exercises against the wall right or is it like a fascial tensegrity network that you're re-rigging and then you're going to think about span and stretch and things like that Ooh. or is it a living breathing perceiving organism that's a highly evolved nervous system that's always adjusting and always adapting to what's going on around it and then that's that's you can probably hear my bias in there that's the way i go and so then i'm really working with perception as well as whatever's happening the tissues yeah well, I think it's a fascinating um, uh, model and perspective uh, on this. And uh, I want to thank you again very much for sharing some of those hands-on um, uh, sort of somatic explorations with us on that. That was really that was really interesting on the deck as well. Appreciate it. Yeah. What about anything else you want to say in closing? You shared some key features with us as well. Yeah. You know, a lot about you know I just, again, I think there's, there's so much um, around this that we have yet to, to, to learn some more about and it is and uh you know mechanically and structurally and physiologically and functionally a very complex area and there's a lot of things that we haven't really had a chance to dive into in great detail but there's right it, it is also of course something that so many people come to us for 
help with. You know, yeah. my neck hurts, hurts. Um, doing these kinds of things, and and it's uh, um, easy sometimes for people to blame certain simple answers for things when there are certainly more complex processes of of how you're using your body that are are playing a role in that. So, um, I I do just want to put the plug out there for. Again, one of the many, many, many reasons why I think manual therapy practitioners are in such a wonderful place to help so many people with these kinds of things because we do take the time with people and the time is often a big factor to really explore in greater detail what's going on with somebody's integrated movement processes throughout their whole body. And um, instead of just taking piecemeal approaches to, to doing things, it really does allow us the opportunity to look at them much more holistically and completely in that process. That's great. Holistically com and more completely, and to invite some of the inside-out change in people's understanding, sensation, experience of their own body. Yeah. It's just something that's being injected into you or done to you, but whether, even if you're not in involving your clients as much as I was describing just there, the fact that people feel your hands, feel our hands, and feel differently afterwards is an inside-out kind of experience that we really benefit from. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. Well, we'll put a we'll put a bookmark and a pause in that for today. How about that? Okay. And I know that we Lots will be more to talk about about the neck. Yeah, indeed, revisiting this concept some more in the future here. So, um, but at this point today, we'll keep in mind that Books of Discovery has been a part of massage therapy education for over twenty years, where thousands of schools around the world teach with their textbooks, e-textbooks, and digital resources. And Books of Discovery likes to say learning adventures start here, and they see that same spirit here on the Thinking Practitioner podcast and are proud to support our work knowing that we share the mission to bring the massage and bodywork community enlivening content that advances our profession. Check out their collection of e-textbooks and digital learning resources for pathology, kinesiology, anatomy, and physiology at booksofdiscovery.com where thinking practitioner listeners like you save 15% by entering thinking at checkout. And we would like to say a thank you to all of our listeners and to all of our sponsors. You can stop by our sites for the video, show notes, transcripts, and any extras. You can find that over on my site at academyofclinicalmassage.com. And Till, for you, where can people find that? Advanced-trainings.com. And if you have comments, questions, or things you'd like to hear us talk about, just record a short voice memo on your phone and you can email it to us at info at thethinkingpractitioner.com or you can look for us on social media. You can find me there under my name, Whitney Lowe, and Till on social, people can find you where? Till Luca, rate us on Apple Podcasts, please. It does help other people uh, find the show and know about the show. And you can hear us on Spotify, uh, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever else you listen Please do share the word, tell a friend. Please do write in and tell us how it's going. Send your voice memo. I can't wait to hear some of those too. Thanks, everybody. And thank you, Whitney, for today. That sounds good. That was a great conversation. We'll look forward to doing it again soon.